Welcome to the Astra Economic Review. My name is John Eckstein. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Astra Investment Management, joined by my friend Nick Tell. Nick, hello. Hello. Always good to be here. Thanks. Nice to have you on Jobs Day. Always a pleasure to respond to what's going on. Love to get your insights. Nick is the CEO of Armory Investment Group and a longtime fixed income expert. So today we will jump into the payroll number, a few other data points come out recently. I'd like to start with the economy in a nutshell. I see the economy is still growing. There's a lot of people talking about slowdowns. I guess you can see it if you squint a little bit, but not a slowdown into recession yet, even though the Great Recession of 2022 is still is still being predicted in a couple of months from now. <laughs> it's, been, it's been slid out every month. So I still am yet to see you know an actual recession. I see more of a slowdown. What do you think, uh, economy in a nutshell, Nick? Yeah, I think the same way that there's been a, I think I would say a hope for a mild recession to get started. And I think some people started thinking that maybe it began in October and waiting for the numbers. We'll talk about it in a second. But I think what we're seeing is that the economy continues to stay robust, particularly on the service side. Obviously, the good side has had some weakness in the retail. But I think on the service side, it really has offset it. And also public sector, it looks like, has increased hiring as well. So I think it seems to be some offsets, though there are pockets of weakness. That's a good way to, to put it. And maybe we'll, we'll emphasize that in a sec. So let's uh, run through the numbers real quick. Non-farm payrolls came in at 199, expected 185, pretty much bang on. There was a net two-month transition of loss of 35,000. So still, like that's about right as expected. Private payrolls a tad weaker. The sort of surprise was... Unemployment rate coming in at 3.7 versus 3.9 previously and 3.9 expected. That number is still off of its lows. And I don't see, I just sort of see this as, you know, we're taking a noisy measurement of reality and I don't read too much into that. What do you think so far of those numbers that I rattled off? You know, I think I said before, hope was that the unemployment rate be higher because that would help people have a data point in support of sort of a Fed cut thesis. I think this doesn't provide that. Right. And continues to, you know, it's almost like where everybody was predicting the recession now, everyone's predicting the Fed cut rate, the will cut rates. And I think it's slowly but surely going to be dawning on people that it's actually going to get pushed out more and more if these data points continue to stay sort of in this range. Yeah, I definitely want to get back to Fed Outlook because I've got a sort of a pointed question for you there. So one of the things I like to look at is direct measures of labor market slack, which I would include like the employment population ratio and the underemployment rate, as well as the unemployment rate. All those are off their most bullish for the economy level, but still at levels that are extremely good by historical standards. People have been talking about earnings, annual earnings, average hourly earnings did bump up a little bit for the month from two-tenths of one percent to four. The average hourly earnings year on year is still four percent. So there's not like a ton of moderation 
to point to there, but also no more of the acceleration. So then a couple of things, a couple of sort of guts I want to dig into a little bit. Part of the job growth was strikers going back to work in the auto sector you hear about, presumably also in the entertainment sector, right? There's two big strikes that got settled and that'll be, they'll probably, given the nature of that industry, it'll be reemployed over time. But yeah, I think beginning in January, February, you're going to start seeing those numbers enter the workforce because I think a lot of shows, et cetera, had with the writer strike ending sooner, put everybody back to work for writing TV in particular. And I think now you're starting to see their shows actually starting to get produced beginning in January, February. Because my son is an actor. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> what, do you want to plug anything for him here? We got a free ad. We got a free ad. For <laughs> he just graduated. So he's done some work, some non-union work, but okay. he's keeping his fingers crossed that January, February things will get into gear for him. Yeah. You know, his big break's got to come. I love this. I love everything about it. So one thing you could do is strip out the auto sector from job growth and, you know, whether whichever you do with or without the auto sector, then the monthly average looks kind of the same, right? It was declining. The monthly average was declining off those very high numbers we saw post-pandemic, sort of more reasonable numbers, sub 200,000. And that's where we are. And if you look at the chart of, say, the three-month average of fully revised monthly hiring. It looks flat since the summer, right? It went down, it went mm-hmm. up, but basically, basically flat. Right. That's probably the most interesting, like the most interesting thing is that there's no news, right? In that job growth continues to tick along. And it's not clear to me, again, that absent a push, we're going to roll down the hill, right? Like the rock is just sitting there. Mm-hmm. One thing you might want to think about is the retails. There's some noise that the retail sector is weakening a little bit. You know, if you look at just the unseasonally adjusted retail hiring, now this is a complicated number, right? Because like as our consumption moves online, we're going to need fewer retail employees at Christmas. Mm -hmm. Like I haven't, I did buy some Christmas presents. I bought some like stocking stuffers in person. But I think most of my Christmas presents have been online. Very diligent present buyer. I'm, I'm very early usually. So, and actually, if you look at what we now think of the numbers, of course, it's adjusted for, and the, the bulk of the hiring tends to happen in November usually. So if you look at the numbers for October, November, December, this year versus last year, they're exactly right on. Now, those numbers are substantially lower than pre-pandemic. So it's more on the order uh, we've gotten about 400,000 new hires, retail new hires in October and November combined when in 20, after the GFC, 2010 to 2019, we would have had more closer to 600,000. But the fact that it's exactly the same as last year hiring to me, at least, means that the people who are sort of most committed to this, to knowing what's going on in the retail market, the vendors are, they think that this year is going to be okay in the retail sector. What do you see in the retail sector from your sort of fixed income standpoint? I think that there is, again, kind of in the broad-based retail sector, I think in terms of expectations from an earnings standpoint, 
I think this is going to be okay of a holiday season. Some early indications seem to indicate that. You know, to your point on the number of employees added, my sense is that there's a systemic shift that really happened with COVID. There's a greater shift to online and that's sticking. And as a result, to your point, that means less. So I'm not necessarily think it's indicative of a necessary concern about a slowness in the sort of holiday season. That'll play itself out. But I do think that generally sort of this year, goods in general have come off their highs. I mean, they were, if you think about it in 21, that was really driving the economy and it's really shifted. But that's, I think, just the nature of the beast and that, you know, the service sector now has really taken over relative to goods, but it's still not to the point where it's ultimately will translate into a recession that I see at least going into the first quarter next year. Yeah, and I think that's sort of consistent with the story that we've been telling the rest of this podcast, right? Which is that things are kind of slow and steady, not booming, but also not not falling off a cliff or anything. Right. A couple more things which are worth looking at. There's a couple of very sort of inside baseball things that I like to look at. One would be people employed part-time for economic reasons. So they're working part-time, they want to be full-time, but they can't get a job. That number's, again, off its lows, but also extremely low compared to the 2010 to 2019 period. Another thing I like to look at is the temporary help services employees, because like it's easier to fire a temp than to fire you know Steve or whatever. So that could be the first place to feel cuts. If you look at it in, in changes, like the level of temporary help services is down over the last six months and as it has been for the last year or so, but not accelerating, right? What has happened in the last two recessions has been a sharp fall off month after month after month, getting worse and worse and worse. And this is a pretty modest change of the last six months, but not gaining steam. One more number that's come out since our last economic report has been the purging managers indices. There's two of them. And those are pretty weak in the manufacturing and okay to weak in services. Actually, industrial production is negative year on year and it has been for a few months. So that's telling a consistent story where we said that earlier that there's weakness located, focused in a couple of sectors. Manufacturing is definitely one of them. Do you have any sort of company-based insights on the manufacturing sector? It really is uh, sector-specific. I think, I don't know, I mean, I haven't looked at the data on how much that's, the strike has really impacted that recently because it seems that you know, we're seeing still general manufacturing sort of, again, not doing great, but not not anywhere near where you would ex- expect it to see if this is really a kind of a recessionary type environment or heading into a clear recessionary type environment. So, again, we just don't see the, the data to support that, that things are certainly weak compared to the way they were, but not necessarily just a pure sort of problematic sector response to a weakening economy. Right. I agree with that. So the only other thing I thought we'd touch on quickly today is a little bit of a Fed Mm -hmm. outlook. And so my question to you, and we discussed this a lot, (laughs) is will the Fed cut rates 
based on inflation alone, or does it need to see evidence of a recession before it's going to cut rates, right? So let's say inflation continues to moderate, and what would it mean? Like, would it mean like six months of core PCE below 3%, something year on year? Would that be enough for the Fed to cut, or is it going to... So this is my first question is, do you think the Fed will cut based on inflation alone, or do they need to see broad-based weakness in the economy? I think that they need to see a broad-based weakness in the economy. I think they're going to be gun-shy to cut without it, because they'll be concerned that inflation will re-accelerate if they do. Right. Um, so I had someone tell me yesterday that like Powell is rich, and he doesn't care about a job. He just doesn't want to be Arthur Burns. Right. He's already made one mistake with respect to inflation back when it all started, thinking that kinda, it was... Kind of. Yeah. I think it's a forgivable. I think we've actually handled <laughs> this extremely well. Well, I'm not saying it's not forgivable. I do think that that just leads, I think, to a sort of a hesitancy to move quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. okay. Just as more being a psychiatrist than anything else. Right. But with respect to sort of what do you have to gain with there's no weakness in the economy to cut rates, right? Right. Yeah, and I think that the story that, say, the Fed Fund's futures market is telling us is something slightly different, right? Mm-hmm. Right. The Fed Fund's futures market sees, well, I mean, they see the first cut in March. So I guess you could say we could see a recession, but we could see broad-based weakness in the economy by then. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, so right now, just to give people who don't follow this as closely a hint, like, so the Fed Fund's futures market is pricing in 25 basis points of cuts by May 1st. And another 75 basis points cuts the rest of next year. And presumably that some sort of like probabilistic, you have a probabilistic interpretation of that, right? Like there's a 25% chance of a recession and big rate cuts and a 75% chance of kind of no recession and fewer no rate cuts. So how you would see that interpret the market the same way as I do? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, how the the market sees it. From my perspective, Powell was surprisingly dovish at the last mm-hmm. Fed meeting. Mm-hmm. And I think in light of that, and what I think we'll see is probably Powell to be more, probably surprisingly hawkish coming into this, you know, coming out of the next Fed meeting, because I think next week, next week. I think he's going to need to manage expectations because by hawkish, I mean that making it even clearer than he tries to in the past that rate cuts aren't in the near term without some real data that drives them with respect to the economy and particularly employment. And so that's where I think the big disappointment in the market is that we didn't have that data point beginning now, maybe get next month, but it hasn't begun yet. Right. Yeah. Stock market seems to think it's okay. And no, no. there's another question of like whether the stock market and the bond market are telling us consistent stories about the next year. But I think we'll leave that for another day and we'll mm-hmm. leave it there. So much for your time, Nick. And if you are interested in any more of our economic analysis, you can see the Aster website, Aster, I-M, I-M for investmentmanagement.com 
or reach out to your Astor sales rep. Thanks, Nick. Okay. Always a pleasure, John. Astor Investment Management, LLC, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. All investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal. There is no guarantee any investment strategy will achieve its objectives or be profitable. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only and does not constitute advice for any particular individual. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investment purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change. They are not intended as investment recommendations. Occasionally, guest speakers not affiliated with Astor are featured, and their opinions are their own and not necessarily shared by Astor. See Astor's form ADV on AstorIM.com or the SEC website for additional information.